Welcome, knaves, nice listeners alike, and even comrades. That is correct, because today is B-Team episode. B-Team Will takes a break from his own podcast, Drive Check, a card fight vanguard podcast with his co-host Cole, and they bring on their friend Andrew to tackle such questions as, what comes first when designing a game? Theme or mechanics? Also, does it take a fancy schmancy person to make a game, or can any average Joe Blow with a good idea sit down and effectively make a tabletop game? This and more on this episode of the Tuesday Night Podcast. All right, Andrew. So we do it guerrilla style here. Yep. Have you listened to Tuesday Night Podcast at all? About three episodes total over its whole run. So. That's that's fine. You're doing better than a lot of people. <laughs> when I host, whatever, Alan Girding can have his precious little program the way he wants. If he's asking me okay. to step in here and take control of things, he gets what he gets. And it's going to be that much better because he might be Starbucks and I'm Mm -hmm. that nice coffee place that actually grows their own beans in the back. All right. So the listeners of Tuesday night podcast, there's a few things they need to know up front. Number one, Greg would have been here but he is actually in los angeles he was invited by wizards of the coast to do some big dungeons and dragon event that they're doing out there i am so happy and so proud for him because that dude is the best and he deserves all the recognition that he should get yep definitely Mm -hmm. logan is not here who also usually does what what are called these b-team episodes because The particular topic that we're going to cover tonight, Greg and Logan also have contributions that they can make, and I want to do them together. I'd like to have them Mm -hmm. have that conversation together. Okay. Now, for our regular listeners of this program, once again, they're going to wonder, Will, you are the king of all homosexuals. Why (laughs) do you have two, I'm going to assume, heterosexual gentlemen on your B-Team episode, which we are usually graced with the glory of homosexuality and only homosexuality. Okay. Well, I've run out of homosexuals of relevance in the world, and now I've got to turn to the streets. (laughs) (laughs) No, that's not true. But everyone else is just on a B list. Ugh, no, we are the B list. We're literally called <laughs> oh, the B great. team on this program. All right. <laughs> you and Cole, Andrew, have yep. some very similar experiences recently. And I wanted you guys to talk about them. Okay. And obviously, it's not having twin children. <laughs> it has to do. I was going to say, what are the odds? <laughs> it has to do with tabletop gaming. But before we get there, I think. A lot of people, some people, a a few people know that Cole and I have been colleagues for three and a half years, for quite a while. Yeah. Andrew. Yes. This is the first time we've ever actually had a conversation. 
uh, I thought there was like a Google Hangout once or something way oh, back. Maybe. But yeah. Yeah. I don't yeah. Know. I guess this counts as a first proper conversation. So the listeners can tell by your distorted use of the English language that you're obviously <laughs> not American. Yes. But, and here's the trick they might think that you're a Kiwi, as the cutesy folks like to call it. But technically... No. Technically, (laughs) technically, what am I? Technically, I'm an immigrant to Japan. So you are a naturalized Japanese citizen now? No, I'm not going to go down that road. As much as I love Japan, it's a strange thing. If I want to do that, then I have to give up my New Zealand passport and that's not going to happen. You're not ready to do that yet. No, just not ever. That's a personal decision. How many years have you lived in Japan? This is my 13th. 13th. So ever since I was 33 years old. Boy, oh boy. I I got out of university and I just jumped on a plane. And what do you do in Japan? Uh, I mostly teach English. See, what a mistake. If anybody's, I hope you give a discount because (laughs) they're not going to learn the good English. You're speaking the discount English. It's been quite an interesting journey so far because I did start off as the kind of typical junior high school, what they call an ALT, the assistant language teacher. But now I work mostly sort of private jobs and kind of do what I want. It's very hard to explain because I have a huge variety of students and ages anyway and what they want to study. You obtain clients. They give you money. You teach them. (laughs) I teach them what they want. Yeah. New Zealand (laughs) English. (laughs) <laughs> New Zealand English. Actually, no, I've become pretty good at uh, imitating a lot of the textbooks and CDs and stuff. So I can uh, imitate certain American sounds. <laughs> can you pull off a Will Anderson accent? <laughs> I was sitting in front of my um, computer last week, I think it was, and I was laughing to myself about how you say coffee. And dog. I'm going to get coffee and hot dogs. Trying so hard to like copy it. I just couldn't quite get it. I don't have a very deep voice, so it's tricky. Sometimes I act as the telephone operator for Georgetown University. I'm not ashamed of that. I, the telephone <laughs> operators work for me. Sometimes they need some time off, and Will Anderson's got to cover. I also right. record the greeting for the main line for Georgetown University. Oh, okay. When you call Georgetown on the main line, you first get my greeting that says, press this button for call here, press this button for call there. And a woman got through to me, and she said, you sound just like the person on the (laughs) greeting. And I said, yes, I recorded that. And she said, you have a very distinctive voice. And I said, thank you. How can I direct your call? (laughs) (laughs) That's that's cool, though. It's it's nice to have a distinctive voice. To have it recognizable and people be like, oh, it's that guy. It has brought me to fame and fortune. It's certainly... (laughs) Wait a minute. Where's the fortune? (laughs) patreon even put a lock on our payouts i'm like broke (laughs) (laughs) all right let's get to the meat and potatoes people don't want to hear about our lives they want to hear about tabletop gaming that's why they listen this this is the podcast that's about the stories that are made while you play games and except i for under the table Something like that. I have listened to this program a thousand times and I still can't get the catchphrase right. Blah, blah, blah. Listen to last week's episode. I'm sure Alan said it at some point in time. And if you care, you'll you'll find out. He'll, he'll be back next week, I'm sure, to do it again. Now, here's the big reveal. Cole. Yeah. You are designing a trading card game. 
This is correct. Okay. Andrew. Yes. You are designing a card placement game? Yeah, it's like a card puzzle game. A competitive puzzle game. Yeah. You're both amateurs. Very. Yes. Cole, you have not had any games published. This is Correct. this is your first try. Correct. <laughs> Andrew. Yeah. You've not had any games published, as far as I'm aware. No, never published. But you both, and here's the hook, because this program actually typically has a sponsor. That sponsor being <laughs> the Game Crafter. Oh, yeah. You both have used their services. Yep. Yep. Interesting. Well, this is the road that I want to start going down. Andrew, you wrote me yeah. a book about your whole design process and everything. Tell yeah. me first <laughs> what your game is about. Okay, just the theme? Theme. Theme is king in Will Anderson's book. Okay, the theme of the game revolves around cells. Like cells, like I'm I'm going to revolt against the government, so I'm a covert <laughs> cell? No, I thought there was way too many political games on the market. So, no, I've gone with cells and the human body. We're talking about little microbes here. Oh, those gross little things you look under a microscope to see. Yeah. Yeah, uh, okay, except okay. I think they're cute. <laughs> well, I've seen the art for your game, and I would agree. The art for your game is awesome Who, who's the person who did the yeah. art what was it's it's a woman right yeah it's mickey zombie no it's zombie mickey zombie mickey isn't it it's the other way i always say it the wrong way around she does a lot of commission artwork and little cute things for like t-shirt all right so cells we've got cells cells are the building blocks of the human body <laughs> right i wanted that as a theme but i didn't want to get too sort of bogged down into medical information so it's about cells sticking together to make a group and fighting off bacteria and viruses but this is competitive yeah <laughs> somehow why i call it kind of a puzzle game is that you're trying to complete a little collection of nine cells so you've got three by three cards in a square that's the puzzle part of the game but the competitive part is that obviously there are other players who are trying to achieve the same goal at the same time. But I've seen that you can send some of your bacteria and viruses over to somebody else's body. Yeah. So that's where the bacteria and viruses come in. You have something to get in the way of what your opponent's doing. All the little cells have different colors. They're just the basic colors, red, yellow, green, and blue. And the bacteria also come in similar colors. So you can put a bacteria on an opponent's cell of the same color oh, okay but a virus kind of like a bad guy wild card because a virus can be put onto any color of cell then things go crazy after that and the name of your game is cyborg cybo cyborg yeah oh, that's <laughs> not going to come out of my mouth <laughs> which is funny because one of my favorite vocaloid songs is bocano sino and I don't know what Sino is. I know what Bocano is because every Cardfight Vanguard player knows what that is. <laughs> Sino, I think, just means ability in Japanese. Oh, sounds right. My ability. All right. Cole. Yeah. Theme of your game. I haven't polished the theme specifically, but it's similar to Cardfight Vanguard. It's kind of like a watered-down version of Cardfight Vanguard. 
So in Card 5 Vanguard, the main goal is you are playing as the main character of your deck and you're calling all of your friends to come and help you fight. Essentially, it's the basic overview of the game. That's that's a, a real abbreviation, but sure. <laughs> <laughs> right. Essentially. And in order to do that, your avatar or the person that you play as changes, changes the form and the abilities and whatnot, and they get stronger. So when I looked at your game a long time ago, it was kind of like almost religious, angels, that kind of thing. Have you moved away from that? That's like four or five games ago. What kind of creatures are we working with now? We're working with more like uh, humanoid creatures, possibly demons, possibly angels. Haven't nailed down the uh, the specifics on it right now. I'm trying to get the mechanics down first before I start to delve into like what kind of theme that I can throw into it. Oh, interesting approach. So, Andrew, did you think mm. of theme first or mechanics first? Theme first. So you really wanted to go with the cells. Yeah, it was sort of on the mind because I'd been in hospital a few months prior to having the idea. Oh, I remember. I was so worried about you. Yeah, I had uh, my gallbladder taken out and mm. spent a few weeks in hospital. So I sort of had all that medical stuff on the brain. And then it came to me one day in a cafe. I was sort of thinking, oh, yeah, I'd like to do something with cells because they kind of wiggle around and stick together and do funny stuff and I think it was, I watched a video gif or something on Reddit where there was a white blood cell, like a macrophage, eating viruses or bacteria or something. That's what they do. Yeah. And that was when I sort of put two and two together and I was like, oh, I could make a game out of this. Mm. Another thing I need you to explain for me. You have said a few different times that you based it on some sort of puzzles, which I still can't grasp in my yes. head what these puzzles are. Oh, they're real simple. My grandmother gave me every Christmas, I don't know why, these little um, kind of stocking stuffers, they were called the crazy something or other puzzle. And you got nine cardboard squares about three inches across. They had half of a design on each of the four sides of the card. So you'd have like a dog cut in half. And two of the sides might have its head and two might have a tail. And then you had to rearrange these nine cards until they all matched up. And there was usually only one solution to the puzzle. So they took forever to do. Even though it was only nine cards? Yeah, only nine cards. They made loads of them, I think, in the 70s and 80s or 80s and 90s. There was literally like millions of combinations for some oh, of them. Oh, cool. So you kind of have designed the gameplay I get, now now it's coming to mind around matching mm. the cells have different colors on different sides and to put yep. one cell next to another something like that yeah so they get attacked by bacteria and viruses that are the same color as the character which is a little face drawn on the card but the sides of the card have little semicircles that are like kind of nodes that connect to other cyborg when you put them next to each other so you can see quite clearly, if you put down a card and you put another card next to it, it'll either have a perfect little red circle or the circle will be like half green and half red and you know you've put it in the wrong place. Oh, you're not allowed to do that. That's no, cheating. No, you can only match. Yeah, they can only match. <laughs> but unlike the crazy puzzles, there's not just like one solution because otherwise the game would never end. So there's about 80 little cyborg cell cards. The, the combinations of little colored dots around them, uh, the semicircles, there's so many different combinations. I worked it all out 
on a matrix before I started designing the cards. If once you end up with a completed little culture of three by three, they actually look really funny on the table because they've sort of got these wacky expressions and they're facing in all sorts of they're directions. They're all facing and they're just, Yeah, yeah they look dirty. so cool. And trust me, I'll say it again. The artwork on this game is fantastic. I love what the cells and the expressions and everything. I wish there was something I could compare them to. It's pretty good so far. I think so. So the other thing that I'm thinking about now that this comes to mind is your goal is to make a grid of nine. Yes. Yeah. It's a shared deck between yes. two, two players or can you have multiple players? How many players does it support? You can have up to four players. A two player game is really quick. Some of the rounds will last five minutes. But the more players you add, the harder it gets and the longer the games go for. Because there's more competition for cells. Yeah, and because one of the mechanics is between turns, the virus and bacteria eat the cards below them and then sort of move on to another target. So if you're playing a four-player game while you're waiting for your turn, you could be almost finished your culture, but by the time it gets around to your turn, it could all be eaten up. Oh, nice. <laughs> so, yeah, four-player game is, is not recommended for beginners because it can be quite frustrating. But the other thing I was just thinking of that came to mind is yeah. as your grid becomes more complete, it's harder to find cards that will match on multiple sides. If your center square is open, you've got to match all four sides, and you may not have a card that does that. There's a lot of little strategies I was told that it's probably not a good idea to put them in the rules, which I had done originally. So I'm sort of debating now whether to have a separate sort of hints and tricks oh, like interesting. section interesting. or whether mm-hmm. not to write it. But basically, I'll give you one hint. is You always start from the middle. That's really the only rule with the construction is you always start from the center. Mm-hmm. So you shouldn't end up with a hole in the middle unless your cell gets eaten at some point. most cards of course surrounding that apart from the middle they'll only be connected to two other cards so as long as you're careful what you place you don't generally paint yourself into a corner too badly yeah but you're the designer of the game you've already thought these things through yeah will anderson i'm gonna get to that last (laughs) one i'm gonna i've got to match three sides i've got nothing in my hand that matches all these three sides and then all of a sudden my entire culture gets eaten (laughs) <laughs> yeah, no, so we, I thought about that. So I added a card called the Stem Cell. It's like a wild card in Uno, and the artwork is probably the most adorable of the whole bunch. Imagine like a super excited little ball of energy, and he's just like radiating all the colors of the rainbow. Oh. <laughs> he's just full of glee. You just put it next to any other card, and it matches with anything. It can help you out if you've got, say, two colors in the corner and you don't have any other cards that will match it. If you draw a stem cell, you can just pop it straight into oh, that hole. Oh, that's easy mode. I'm taking those out of the deck and putting them aside. Oh, you can, yeah. By all means, that that would definitely make the game a lot harder as well. <laughs> Cole, so far, you've only used Game Crafter for production purposes, correct? Correct. Have we done our promo cards from them or have you only done your game cards from them so the first batch of they're like tokens for vanguard essentially i did the first run on there that was my first time using it and i don't think i quite understood what the materials were for what i did because when they came back they were not cut very cleanly and it turned me off the whole 
Game Crafter to begin with. And so I recently came back with printing my first draft. So now you've done a run of, what are you going to call your trading card game? Don't know. I think Stacks right now is what I'm thinking of. Stacks? Yeah, with maybe like an X or two. I'm not sure. Right. <laughs> gotta make three. it edgy. Yeah, gotta, well, maybe not three. Maybe not three. <laughs> 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 gotta make it all edgy-like. I did the first draft of that, and they came back really nice. Nice and clean and even, and all of the sides of the cards lined up real nice. Do you have a finish on them? Is there any gloss? Is there any uh, foiling? There's no gloss or foiling because I didn't want to mess around with that. I just wanted like the basic stuff. And I'm very impressed and I will definitely be going back for like a second run. All right. So you you printed one set for yourself Mm -hmm. and it's for you to take to the card shop to play with all your amigos. Well, I guess two technically. One for me and then one to make another deck out of with some extra cards that I can swap in to test. But you haven't put it up on Game Crafter where other people, if they want to buy a copy or make themselves a set, it's not publicly available yet, correct? Should not be. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> that way. <laughs> did you, do you have art on the cards? Yeah, I have like real quick doodles that I did in my uh, sketchbook that I took a picture of on my phone and then put them into Adobe Illustrator and then tweaked them. Because technically you are a trained graphic artist. I technically am. <laughs> Not currently employed as such. Hey, if anybody needs a graphic artist, Cole McEwen's real good. <laughs> Do what I can. Andrew, you have a slightly different story. Right. How did you get to Game Crafter? Because you're in Japan, and FYI, folks, Game Crafter is not in Japan. No, it is not. I think it just might have been dumb luck, I guess. You don't think that you may have asked like one of your friends who knows about tabletop gaming, and they may have suggested, uh, oh, hey, there's a company yeah. out there that does this? Yeah, that might have been what happened. I totally didn't forget that. <laughs> yeah, no, I think, I think it was through the Slack, right, for yes. Pokemon Podcast. Because I was trying so hard to find a publisher in Japan, and I went into board game cafes and asked the owners. I said, like, do you know any publishers? And they were like, nope. Come on, really? You've got games everywhere and you well, have no dude, they're idea. They're cafe no. owners, dude. They're not game publishers. They're not making their own games. Yeah, but I thought maybe some of them would be making their own games or would be sort of playing around with rules and things in their spare time. But um, I don't think that's how Japan works. It's a very rigid society. I have found out since, though, that there is a big uh, amateur game market that takes place twice a year. So uh, I might be going to the one in Tokyo at the end of the year. Like a festival? Kind of, yeah, like Komike or any of those festivals, and they just have booths set up and you sort of bring your wares and try and promote it. Oh, cool. Oh, that's neat. Yeah, so if I'm lucky, there might be somebody there who the actual publishers comes along and says, hey, we exist. Why don't you use our (laughs) services? Stop paying shipping. Well, I think you'll still want an English version, but... Tell me about yes, your yeah. process with Game Crafter. Tell me like what steps you've taken. Because I know Cole's done production, which is cool. Yep. You know He wants to have samples. He wants to have physical things for him to play with. You have gone whole hog. Yes, because I was tiptoeing around making the game for ages. And then just one morning, I just thought, ah, screw it. I'll just put some money towards it and see what happens. Because I'm a perfectionist. And the longer I waited, I thought, someone else will have a better idea that's similar or something like that. So I took what I had already, which was the first drafts of the artwork, and I just started looking through their catalog and I thought, okay, these pieces fit and this will work. And 
got the images set up on the cards and then just, yeah, went and ordered a set and it arrived 10 days later and it's not bad at all. So when you made your first set, you I think you made it available for anybody to order. Yeah, originally. So then I said to my friends back home, okay, here's just a PDF with all the cards. And if you really can be bothered, then print out this PDF and cut them up if you don't want to have it shipped from America. Because I think that's what happened. Because you can look at the stats of how many times people have looked at your shop page and stuff on Game Crafter. And I know I got plenty of views, but I think people just looked at it and then went, hey, I don't want to pay that much shipping to get a card game to New Zealand. So uh, so you can see that people looked at it, but you don't know where from. No, you don't see where from. You see the number of views. You can also see the number of, it says nibbles or something, which I think refers to people who may have put it in their basket or thought about buying it. I'm not sure quite how far down the line that refers to. Okay. They say that you can tell if your product is too expensive, if you get lots of nibbles, but no sales. Sure. Mm-hmm. So you put it in there. I, I did not buy a copy because I'm, wa- I'm waiting for something that's a little more finished. Yeah, it even said playtest version on the box. So <laughs> that turned on people. <laughs> so what other service, because I know you've used services that I was actually surprised that Game Crafter has. Okay, so the testing stuff. I sort of came across that when I was looking through every menu on the website. And I realized that if I bought some crafter points, which is kind of like a currency system they have on the website, uh, you can exchange some of those crafter points to have some testing done of your game by people who are experienced gamers and also... Experienced game testers? Yeah, game testers. People with backgrounds like editing and stuff like that. So they are pretty good with the English language. Even though I teach English, it's always nice to have somebody spell check for me. Well, and also, you've been in Japan for 13 years, so your English is degrading. Just let me, just yeah. having known you for as long as I have, your English is going downhill, bud. <laughs> oh, yeah, I forget, I forget words all the time. Yeah, I, I, I'm, always, I'm always referring to a dictionary. <laughs> I sent them my rules, and I set up a basic shop page. I, I made like a quick, uh, terrible video and uh, made a banner ad and stuff like that, but I didn't hey, really know. I watched that video. It wasn't that bad. I watched the whole thing. I think it's bad. I'm going to have to redo that. But uh, yeah, I, I sort of submitted it not knowing really what they were testing completely. And then about a week later, I got the results back and they were stricter, but more wonderful than I could have imagined because it was very detailed feedback. So was that about gameplay or was it about the whole thing? About everything. There's subsections and it, sort of you get points you get a score out of 100 overall, but it's not just the rules of the game, but it's also the aesthetics, the theme, your shop page. There's points for everything in there. I got, uh, see, here we are, forgetting words, being in Japan <laughs> too long. I got reprimanded is the word I want to say. Scolded, <laughs> that's good, yeah. Scolded, there it is. Yeah, I got scolded real bad because, yeah, my rules were all over the place. I thought they were f- fine at first but then when i actually read the notes and i went back and looked at them i was like yeah someone who's never seen this game before is going to have a hard time finding anything in here because i wrote it like a glossary every time it said play a cell card see cell cards below and like every Mm -hmm. time i mentioned a new card you had to go look it up somewhere later in the document oh i thought that was like really kind of logical at first but you know, hindsight, you know, this is awful. So mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I've just completed the fourth rewrite of the rules, and I've. I know. I saw you. You posted like a, a highlighted and like, and I was like, I, I actually like some of the original language on this. <laughs> yeah, board games and card games, like back in the day, like a lot of them had very formal and serious vocabulary in the way that they were written was kind of posh in comparison to a lot of stuff now. But the person who reviewed my games said people want to be able to sort of pick it up and read through the rules in a couple of minutes and know most of what's going on oh, oh, heck, as yeah. fast as possible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. No, no one's got time for that anymore. Yeah. There's very few people who are interested in like playing Axis and Allies and reading a book about how right, to do right. it, right? That's what I grew up with. So yeah, I, I think with your style of game where you're like really trying to orient towards young people and like casual fun, you can't have super complicated instructions. Exactly. One of the examples, they literally quoted a chunk out of my rules and then said, this is too wordy. 12 year old is going to have no idea what that means. You should consider this. And then I looked at it. I was like, yeah. <laughs> So, Cole, do you think mm-hmm. you're ever going to get to a point where you would want to use those kind of review services and everything like that? Oh, heck yeah. I didn't even know that existed. Oh, you've, you missed out on it. You haven't been poking around yeah. enough. No, I haven't. When I get to that point, for sure, yeah. I will invest in that. It yeah. sounds like a godsend. So what is your timeline, Andrew, do you think, mm. that you're going to be able to have a game ready, like something ready for people to buy? I knew you were going to ask. That, okay, this is, this is hey folks, this is Workwill yeah. coming out. I, I do do project <laughs> management. I have a staff of project 11 management. people, and I'm trying to constantly get them to keep to timelines. I will start by saying that I completely underestimated how much time and effort this was going to take, because I'm more of sort of an ideas guy. Mm-hmm. and less of a sort of footwork guy. And then, of course, I've got two young children at the moment. It's very the difficult most sometimes to find the time. children. I hate children except for my friend Alan's son, Oscar, <laughs> and your two kids because your Thanks. two kids are so beautiful. Wait till they learn the fusion dance. <laughs> What's the fusion dance? <laughs> Anybody who's, who's seen Dragon Ball Z will be laughing right now. We'd better get started, Vegeta. Are you ready? It's a simple technique, but we have to harmonize our spiritual energies or it won't work. Our power levels have to be exactly the same. We also have to move in perfect sync. Your posture has to mirror mine. My what? I'll show you. Don't worry. It's not that complicated. It's kind of like a cross between traditional fighting stance and water ballet, except without the water. Ballet! Just watch for a second. It's easier to show you than to explain it. You Now, think of two rivers flowing toward one another that become narrower and narrower the closer they get to each other. Chun! Note the opposing position of knee and arms. Ha! The two rivers converge at two single points. The points give way under the pressure and the rivers flood into each other and become one. You're insane! I'm not posing like that! Oh, oh, because they're twins. Yeah, I'm trying to get them to do the fusion dance, but it's still a little bit small. Yeah, that's great. So, so yeah, it just it just keeps the the um the deadlines I set for myself just keep getting dragged out and dragged out. And things keep coming up. So, I'm hoping at the end of June to be safe. I'm pretty confident though. Now we know that you're good at getting Japanese folks to speak English. Do, do you have like sus- successful graduate students who have graduated your program who have confirmed that they actually speak English well? Is <laughs> I still keep in contact with a lot of my ex-students and 
a lot of them have gone on to attend universities that only run their courses in English. English-only universities? Cool. Yeah. So my question is, do you plan on publishing a Japanese-only version of the game, and are you going to translate the rules into Japanese? Yes. But when you say Japanese-only version of the game, there's not the... The best thing about the game is that the cards don't have any text on them. That's correct. And I've taught five-year-olds how to play this game and using minimal Japanese or English to explain it to them. That was the main goal, was to make something that you weren't always picking up cards and reading them all the time. Mm-hmm. The rules are the only thing that needs to be translated. So once the little rule book uh, has a Japanese version, then I can just do a print run of that and basically stick it in the same box. Mm-hmm. Hopefully. I wonder if the game crafter can print Japanese rules. Yeah, I've seen plenty of other games with their rules available in other languages, but only languages using the Latin alphabet. Exactly. So. <laughs> I was yeah. going to say, it's, it's one thing to have your rules in German and French and English, and another right. thing to have your rules in English and squiggly lines. Yeah, that, that being the official name for Japanese characters. If people want to find your game on GameCrafter, they just look for it. it's S A I B O U. O U. Yeah, Cyborg. Yeah. So at the moment, the shop page exists. I'm just thinking, like, how can people, if they're like hot to get their hands on a little Cyborg action? Yeah. What you don't experience, Andrew, because you're not here in the States, is there's this right. now, this culture in tabletop gaming that is basically like the hipsters of tabletop gaming. <laughs> and it's like, I've got to get in on this game before anybody else does. And if the game's been out for six months and you can find it at your local game store, I'm not interested anymore. It's not cool. (laughs) (laughs) So Cole, what is your plan for getting your game together? Uh, My plan is to actually finish a base set of something that I've worked on. So for you, what you're enjoying is... You don't have a goal, an end goal in mind for what your process is taking to. You're kind of just experimenting with concepts and seeing what catches hold in your mind. Mm -hmm. That's exactly what I'm doing. And you've found the GameCrafter services to be an affordable way for you to indulge in that activity? Absolutely. I think it costs me $12 per like huge stack of cards. I think it's over 100 stack of cards per package that I made. $24 total. I think it ended up being like $30 with shipping. And I got them within like a couple days. Definitely very handy because there's no way I'm sitting down and I'm writing on little card inserts and (laughs) sliding them into sleeves anymore. I'm done with that. It takes up way too much time. It just kills me. So what did you say was the total cost for you? Ended up being like 30 some dollars. Yeah. Heck, to have a stack of cards that you designed and not having to, you you got it. Like, what is that, yeah. 240 cards? Yeah, something like that. Wow. It, it's affordable for sure, and it, it saves me so much time, so I have to handwrite everything. And my handwriting is atrocious. Slip them into sleeves and then play like that. It just killed the entire process for me. So this has renewed my, my passion for creating card games. And I did want to say... The reason I asked both of you guys on here, obviously you're you're both in similar places of trying to design games and get them published. And it's not to promote GameCrafter and their services. I get zero D dollars and zero D cents from them. <laughs> but I want to encourage people and give people an idea that if they have 
a thought of a game that they would like to design, a game that they might want to make available for their friends or just play around with the concept that they could do it, that there are affordable and real ways that they can do that, that there's not this huge hurdle to get over in order to get to the next step of bringing your game in whatever form into the real world. Definitely. It's not difficult. I think we've, uh, if you've been around games a long time, board games and card games, growing up, I always assumed that if you had an idea, you had to go and talk to Hasbro or something. Mm -hmm. And uh, don't say the H word around here. (laughs) All right, Cole, where can people find you on the internet if you would like for them to find you? I am on Twitter, really. I'm at Cole underscore McCune. At C-O-L-E underscore M-C-C-U-N-E. You say it exactly the same every time. <laughs> Andrew, would you like to be found on the internet? Yeah, I hear they have that on computers nowadays. Yes, and on phones too. Wow. You can find me on Twitter as well. I'm at Andrew Sensei, A-N-D-R-E-W-S-E-N-S-E-I. That is absolutely lovely. All right, so normally when we end the B-team programs, we say frontil, which means from now until the next time I see you. So frontil, Andrew. Frontil, Will. Frontil, Cole. <laughs> frontil, Will. See, isn't it lovely? It's really nice. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Oh, wait, I'm yep. supposed to say uh, play TKG on Twitter for the thing and... Tuesday night games, blah, blah, blah. Shill, shill, shill. All right, good. Forget to pound the subscribe, hit the bell, share the shit out of this episode. See us on social media at PlayTKG and send us your comments, questions, emails, nave tonight's missions, or comrade submissions via email to podcast at TuesdayNightGames.com. Thank you so much for listening. Peace.